Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. This week, we are going to look at the scriptures from the Daily Lectionary in week four of Advent. Now remember, we start on a Sunday and we end on a Saturday. So the Sunday is called the fourth Sunday of Advent. And there are four weeks in Advent. And following Advent is Christmas. So we are preparing ourselves for the coming of the Lord. We are pre preparing ourselves for the birth of Jesus. If you look at the scriptures, you'll see that we're going to be looking at Isaiah. We've been looking at Isaiah in Advent. We are going to look at Revelation. At the end of Revelation, which is very interesting, and these scriptures are very, very good. Revelation 20, 21, and 22. And that will take us to the end of the book of the Bible. And as you'll notice on Christmas Eve, you've got Isaiah 59 and you've got Philippians chapter 2. I'll say more about that in a minute. And then in the gospel reading, we have a couple of scriptures, Sunday and Monday from John, but then we go to Luke. And the reason, of course, we're in Luke is we are anticipating the birth of Jesus. And Luke has a long narrative in chapters 1 and then beginning of chapter 2, we have the birth of Jesus. Uh, in preparation for the birth of Christ. Mark has no birth narrative. John has no birth narrative. And Matthew does, but we're going to use Luke's. Let's start on Sunday with Isaiah 42. And he is talking about the servant. Notice in verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. There are four scriptures in Isaiah that refer to the servant of the Lord. And the servant of the Lord is supposed to be that messianic person uh, that serves God and is going to save his people, as we see in Matthew 1.21, save his people from their sins. And so the servant in Isaiah 42 is not going to cry aloud, verse 2, or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, verse 3, and a fainting, burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged, verse 4. And so please continue the reading of Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 12, about the servant who is going to come. The servant, of course, is born as we celebrate on Christmas Day. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. And that is a very important scripture uh, regarding the branch. Now, the branch is also a messianic figure. We see it in Jeremiah 23, Isaiah 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. If you recall, we said the Spirit rested upon the servant in Isaiah 42 a spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, verse 2. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. And then it says more about the branch. So what's happening in the Old Testament, and we see this in Isaiah and several other prophetic books, is they are telling us about and uh, announcing the coming of the Lord the coming of the Messiah. And of course, the Jewish people were waiting for the coming of the Messiah. And uh, so they knew these texts 
And hopefully, when the Messiah comes, they would take these texts, understand it's Messiah, and then welcome the Messiah. Of course, that did not happen. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, the scribes, the professional people in Judaism did not recognize Jesus as the Messiah. But the writers of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John referred to these texts, and so did Paul, to support the fact that the Messiah had already come. So these texts are important. Let's continue on. And on Tuesday, we've got Isaiah 11, 10 to 16. This whole section is beautiful. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand, verse 11, yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. The idea of a remnant is a very key concept in the Old Testament. The idea that God is going to preserve a group of people, not a a large group, but a small group of people that he will save for himself. And again, we're back to how God is going to treat the nations, how God is going to treat his people. And if you read this You'll be amazed, particularly at verse 15 of chapter 11. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath and strike it into seven channels and will lead people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria, verse 16, for the remnant that remains of his people, so there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. So as you're reading the Old Testament, and you're reading the prophetic words of Isaiah, he's speaking to his time in that context, and then he's speaking to a future time of the Messiah. He's speaking to a future uh, series of events that's going to happen. It takes quite a bit of skill to figure out where he is uh, in that context and what context he, in fact, is in. Isaiah 28, 9 to 22. Isaiah 28, as you are reading through the scriptures in the daily lectionary in the fourth Sunday of Advent week, Isaiah 29, 9 to 22. To whom will he teach knowledge? To whom will he explain the message? Verse 9. Those who are weaned from the milk, those who have taken the breast? Question mark. For it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. For my people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, verse 11, the Lord will speak to his people. This is rest. Give rest to the weary. This is repose. Yet they would not hear. The word of the Lord will be to them precept upon precept, precept upon precept. That they may go and fall backward, the end of verse 13, and be broken and snared and taken. And so God is encouraging them, encouraging them to hear the word of the Lord, to listen to the word of the Lord, to hear what he's saying and put it into practice. Again, he's using the prophet to speak the word of the Lord to them. They don't. They have a text maybe of Moses that they're reading, but they need to be instructed in the word of the Lord. They may have no text at all. They may have abdicated, or, the, or at least orally, they may not have learned the word of the Lord. And so the prophet comes and speaks it to them. And of course, we have to pray that they keep it. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, verse 14. Hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers, you who rule this people in Jerusalem. See, so the problem is they're not listening to the word of the Lord. He calls them scoffers because you've said, we have made a covenant with death. And with Sheol, we have made an agreement when the overwhelming whip passes through. It will not come to us. And we've made lies our refuge. So he's castigating them. He's upset with them because they will not listen to the word of the Lord. They will not listen to what God is saying. In falsehood, we've taken shelter. 
And then he says, very famous verse, verse 16, Behold, I am the one who is laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. That's quoted several times in the New Testament. Of course, the cornerstone is going to be the Messiah. It's going to be Christ. Isaiah 29, 13 to 34. 13 to 34. And the Lord said, verse 13, because the people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. This is the problem. Lots of talk about God, lots of mouthing words, but where's your heart? Their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people with wonder upon wonder and the wishes of their wise men shall perish and the discernment of their discerning shall be hidden. Ah, you who hide deep from the Lord your counsel, verse 15, whose deeds are in the dark. You don't want to act in the dark. You want to act in the light. Who say, who sees us? Who knows us? You turn things upside down. So there's this wonderful poetry that you see in the prophet Isaiah in the book of Isaiah, where God knows what's going on. He sees what his people is doing. He's not obfuscating his responsibility to let them know what he thinks. He lets them know. He shows them their sin. He calls them back to himself. And we pray that they will respond. And so we continue with that particular scripture in 29. In 33, 17 to 22, 17, your eyes will behold the king of his beauty. They will see a land that stretches afar. Your heart will muse on the terror. Where is he who counted? Where is he who weighed the tribute? Where is he who counted the towers? You will see no more the insolent people, a people of an obscure speech that you can't comprehend, stammering in a tongue that you can't understand. Behold Zion, verse 20, the city of our appointed feasts. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, an untroubled habitation and immovable tent. And he just goes on and on and on. Look what he says in 22. The Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawyer, our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. So there's this back and forth relationship between God and his people, God and Israel. Encouraging them to do right. Chastising when they do wrong. Judging them. Calling him to himself. Forgiving them. And this wonderful relationship that God has set up between him and his people. In 35, we have the ransom shall return. The uh, 35 is, is a wonderful uh, series of verses, 35, 1 through 10. And it's a beautifully uh, written and a very positive. The eyes of the blind, verse 5, will be opened. And the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame man shall leap like a deer. The tongue of the mute shall sing for joy. So a lot of healing is going to be done. And God will do great things. Verse 8, a highway shall be there. It should be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over. It sounds like it's going to be a heavenly, kind of a heavenly thing going on where there's going to be healing. There's going to be miraculous uh, things that happen. There's going to be purity. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast come on it. And the ransom to the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. There's singing, there's joy, there's celebration. Everlasting joy shall be on their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Sounds very much what we're going to look at in a few minutes with Revelation, where we see in Revelation 21 and 22 this uh, vision that John is given and he shares with us about a new heaven and a new earth. Sounds very much like that in 35. And then finally on Christmas Eve, Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59 beginning at 15b. 
The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. He put on a righteousness and a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing. It sounds like somebody is going to do something significant. Someone is going to save. So they shall fear the name of the Lord, verse 19 of 59, from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream from which the wind of the Lord drives. A redeemer will come to Zion. That's what's going to happen Christmas Eve. Those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. Somebody's going to come and save them. Now, this is about 700 B.C., so it's going to be a while before it happens, but it's going to happen. Revelation. I'm sure you've read the last couple of chapters of Revelation. If you have not, I strongly commend it to you, to your reading. Chapter 20. This is 1 through 10. This is an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. Well, I'm not going to go in th into this in great detail. He sees the dragon, that ancient serpent who's the devil, and bound him for a thousand years. There's the thousand years that the devil is bound. That's pretty famous uh, time frame. And a lot of people are wondering, what does that mean? How long is that lasting? Is it, is it a literal? Is it a metaphor? Is it, a, is it symbolic? What does it mean? I saw thrones and seated on them were those, verse 4, to whom the authority to judge was committed. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and the word of God and had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received the mark of the beast, remember the mark of the beast, on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan's going to be released from prison. So we don't know exactly, again, what that means. You just want to be ready for the coming of the Lord whenever that happens. Then you have, of course, in 2011 through 21, we begin with the great white throne judgment. The dead, great and small, are standing before the throne. The books are open. Every one of us is going to experience this. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. So you and I will be judged according to what we have done. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and every one, and they were judged, each one of them, verse 13, according to what they had done. So he says it a second time. Then death and Hades were thrown in the lake of fire, verse 14. There's where the idea of the lake of fire comes in. The second death is the lake of fire, okay? And if anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. The first death, of course, is when you die. The second death is if you're thrown into hell. You do not want that to happen. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. You want your name written in the book of life. Okay, so that you and I can experience chapter 21 and 22, which is the new heaven and the new earth. The dwelling of God and Again, this is just a beautiful section of the Bible, the last couple of chapters of the Bible in Revelation. He said to me, it is done, verse 6 of chapter 21. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Doesn't cost anything to get saved. The one who conquers will have his heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, 
sorcerers, idolaters, liars. They are going to be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. And this is what? The second death, as I said earlier, as the Bible said earlier. Then we have the new Jerusalem and the gates and the walls and the flooring and the foundation and the beauty of that. It's going to be fantastic. Verse 22 of chapter 21. I saw no temple in the city. The temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. The, Lord, the glory of God gives the light, and its lamp is the Lamb. So the Lamb, of course, is Jesus. You have God the Father, and by his light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. So a beautiful, as we prepare for the coming of Jesus on Christmas Day, uh, a beautiful series of uh, chapters uh, and verses that have to do with the new heaven and the new earth. We see it again in the final chapter of Revelation. And he said to me, verse 6, these words are trustworthy and true of chapter 22. And the Lord, the God of the spirits and the prophets, he sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. I am coming soon. This is Jesus talking. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. That's why you need to know the scriptures. That's why we're doing this daily lectionary, providing this for you weekly encouraging you to read the scriptures, encouraging you to think about the scriptures, encouraging you to pray over the scriptures so that you will keep the words of the prophecy of this book. It is not enough simply to know what they are. That is a great beginning, but you and I need to do them. And you and I will be judged. Uh, Revelation chapter 20, 11 to 15, you and I will be judged according to what we have done in this book. And so, Blessed are those who wash their robes, verse 14, so that they will have the right to the tree of life. Remember the tree of life in Genesis? And they may enter the city by the gates. Again, the negative. The dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral, verse 15, the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Falsehood is not good. You want to practice the truth, and Jesus is the truth. So, the spirit of the bride say, come, verse 17. The one who hears says, come. Let him who is thirsty... Let the one who desires take the water of life without payment. I am coming soon, Jesus says in verse 20. 21, last verse of the Bible. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Christmas Eve, we look at Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Remember, that's the one that says every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and the glory of God the Father. Again, the exaltation of the Son, the, our submission to the Son, the greatness of the Son. The Son is the final judge of all the earth. The Son is the, uh, the one that has saved us from our sins. You and I want to be ready to stand before him. If you look at the readings for the gospel, we have a couple from John, John 3, 16 to 21. And uh, everybody knows what John 3, 16 is, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so we want you to have everlasting life before Jesus comes. We want you to know the Lord. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, verse 18 of chapter 3 of John. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. People love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Remember the deeds in Revelation 20? The, the lake of fire. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, verse 20, lest his deeds should be exposed. Well, they're going to be exposed at the end, that's for sure. 
21. Whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out with God. So you want your deeds exposed. You want to do the right thing. If you are not doing what you're supposed to be doing, that's where repentance comes in. You want to repent before the Lord so that your slate is clean when you stand before him. You are justified by your repentance and faith in Christ. Your faith in Christ, your repentance and purging of your sins by Christ's blood and his forgiveness for you and me is crucial. In chapter 5 of uh, John's gospel, he reiterates the importance of his judgment. I can do nothing on my own, he says in chapter 5. Jesus is speaking. I judge. My judgment is just. I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. My judgment is right. And I'm going to judge. And so you want to be ready for the judgment of God. You want to be listening to the Lord. You want to be following the Lord. You want to do what he says. And again, that beautiful series of texts from John 5. When we turn to Luke, when we turn to Luke's gospel, we go to the very beginning and we read this, these wonderful stories that I'm sure you've heard your whole life. And the first one, of course, Luke 1, 5 to 25, is Zechariah, is the father to be the father of John the Baptist, and he has this extraordinary story. And he, the angel goes to him, angel Gabriel goes to him, Elizabeth is barren, verse 7, they were advanced in their years, and God um, is going to give them a child, John the Baptist, and Zechariah doesn't believe it. So he's not able to speak until John the Baptist is born. Then we have uh, the angel uh, Gabriel going to see uh, Mary, verse 26, the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, had to come from the house of David, 2 Samuel 7. The virgin's name was Mary. Greetings. She was greatly troubled. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Verse 31. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call him Jesus. Now, the conception is not going to come from Joseph. It's going to come by the Holy Spirit. It's totally supernatural. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Back to David again, 2 Samuel 7. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's the father of the 12 sons, Genesis. And his kingdom, there will be no end. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. This is Christmas Day, Christmas Day, verse 35. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The child will be holy, the Son of God. So that's how it happens. And then afterwards, Mary visits Elizabeth. And then Mary, the babe, leaps in the womb. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, John, leaped in the womb. And she was filled. Elizabeth, the mother of John, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And said about Mary, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then Mary praises the Lord with the very famous Magnificat. From 46 to 55, Mary returns home, 
And then we have in the second half of uh, Luke chapter 1, we have the birth of John the Baptist, which is miraculous to say the least, and Zacharias Benedictus. From 67 to 80, he gives praise to God for this great event. When we come to Christmas Day, we are looking at Luke chapter 2. We'll look at that next week. But we are on the cusp of the birth of Christ through the prophecies of Isaiah, through the wonderful uh, revelation, the book of Revelation, where we see the end and what that looks like, where Jesus is glorified and exalted as King of kings and Lord of lords in Revelation 19, the new heaven and the new earth in uh, Revelation 21, and then, of course, the coming of Jesus at the end of Revelation 22, and, of course, John's words in John chapter 3 uh, and chapter 5, and then we have chapters, chapter 1, actually, of Luke, where Zechariah, the father, meets the, meets the angel Gabriel, and has the beautiful prophecy, and then Angel Gabriel goes to Mary, and then Mary has this beautiful uh, uh, experience with the angel and this extraordinary situation where she's going to be the mother of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And then uh, the beautiful Magnificat and Benedictus with both Mary first and then Zechariah are praising the Lord for what he's doing in the midst. Well, I hope you have a fabulous uh, fourth Sunday of Advent week where you are preparing yourself for the Lord. Please take time to listen to these scriptures and pray and reflect upon them. And I look forward to sharing with you next week, Christmas Day and following. God bless you.